Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. So we have another musical guest uh, but i don't think we had a musical guest like uh my musical guest uh, today so i want to introduce and maybe i'm reaching but to me a musical prodigy uh in electronic violinist producer composer uh performer mr asher alab welcome to everything is personal thank you for being here thank you for having me and thank you for making time in between your busy schedule and your busy gigs to pull over and actually, you know, join us on the, on the pod. So appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. So we were just talking before, let, let, let's start with sort of your background, where you grew up and uh, let's talk about, you know, your childhood a little bit. Sure. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, I sort of started music at a very young age um, to, to and change. I started on a little margarine box, had rubber bands serving as strings. I learned how to sort of pluck the, each of the four strings. And but you grew up in New, in New York, right? Was that? Oh, know? yeah. Ups. Okay. Got it. Yeah, like, upstate. Well, upstate, like what part of New York? Yeah, uh, Buffalo, Buffalo, like closer to Canada. Yeah, yeah. Near, it's uh, where, where it's really warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want to factor in the blizzard of 77. <laughs> I guess the snow warms the atmosphere, so yeah. There you go. So uh, you you grew up in Buffalo, uh, and then uh, uh, do you have uh, are your parents together? Were they together? Do you have siblings? Yeah, I was blessed to have a pretty stable middle class up- upbringing, enriched with just really great education and um, just just a, a deep understand. Uh, I'm going to say a deep music education. So all three of my siblings, my two older brothers, younger sister both played instruments at very young ages as well. I might've started the youngest for some reason, but uh, we were just sort of entrenched in performance uh, at the Suzuki method. So we were pretty much born on stage and we played in our orchestras, all of us. And uh, I'm the only one who made it a professional career, uh, probably because I'm, I'm nuts. <laughs> and well, you know, so that's Were your parents musicians? To... Were they uh, musicians themselves? Yeah. Not, not professional, but they both played instruments pretty competently. Uh, my father plays, still plays uh, the fiddle, and my mother plays the ukulele or the UK as they call it, four string guitar. So, uh, and they just 
they just sort of uh, uh, assisted us with with uh, learning instruments that weren't all that intuitive. You know, I, I would have chosen drums, guitar, maybe piano. I think they would have been a little more fun at a young age. But uh, I don't know. I'm grateful that that I, I spent all the time learning the violin. In in retro, you know, in looking back, like in hindsight. Yeah. So you started. Uh, they started you out when you were two, uh, correct, or some somewhere in that range. I'm yeah, just curious. My mother claimed. Yeah. Why? Yeah, why the vi- Why the violin? Like uh, because your dad played the fiddle, and he's like, ah, you know, let's uh, let's give him the violin kind of thing. Well, my mother was a very involved mother. Um, I mean, hyper loving, like very very involved. Um, that's a whole other uh, story I could I could talk about. I don't think we have enough time on this show, but she, um, yeah, I think my dad was just sort of he was just busy. With, with his geology and paleontology career. I don't, you know, I don't know if he was like, okay, Ashley should play the violin. My mother says that I looked up to my oldest brother who was playing concertos and I wanted to do that. So, makes sense. I don't remember it, but I believe it. So, I, I know you said, uh, you know, you don't want to go there, but I, I'm kind of curious, like, because these relationships with our parents uh, really form, you know, these... Uh, these connections that we have to our personalities and, and, uh, what motivates us, what propels us forward. And, and I think I'm hearing you saying that, you know, your, your dad wasn't there as much. So your mom said, let's, uh, let's keep, uh, him busy with it. Is that, or I'm interpreting it incorrectly. Um, a little bit different than that. My dad was always present and compared to like the average dad who's like working, you know, around the clock to earn a living now with inflation, I would say he was pretty present um, in our lives. And even on, especially on Sundays, it was sort of my mother's initiative to have my dad, like take us out and do different activities and, you know, go to restaurants, whatever, just to sort of connect. So I give my mom more, more or less credit for that. I think she sort of structured the whole family experience. Um, yeah. I mean, my, I guess I it's just sort of what I, what I told you was somewhat reflective of how, uh, how motivated my mother was in terms of, of the upbringing versus my father. I guess that's, that was my point. Was she also more motivated to have you play an instrument? And or was it, was it a goal? Like maybe have a, a family band kind of thing and, and perform all together. So we did have, we didn't have a family band, but the, the goal was what she achieved, which is what, what I would say um, to, First of all, emulate my aunt Sheila, who's in the Boston Symphony. Uh, so everybody looked up to her. I was like, oh, wow, you know, like fourth, basically the first violins, the fourth violinist. Like, this is the ultimate, you know? Um, and then there's the, just like the all, all culture, the arts and culture. That's sort of the way she was, she was uh, brought up in, you know, Florida where she grew up. Um, I, there was another point I was going to make. Uh, well, are, are your parents like, uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to, frame picture because so my background is uh i my, we immigrated from the old soviet union so there was a lot of oh. in in the in the uh, i'm i'm lithuanian my dad was from belarus and and the families of oh. poland and all those so in the culture with my family that's why I was, that's <laughs> why i'm asking that's exactly why i'm asking because in that's my funny. in my family in in the culture uh it, like ashkenazi jewish culture there was a lot that's of mine Everybody has to have, you have to learn an instrument. The, the ladies uh, play piano. And that's okay. the, so I was asking because I, I can hear the similarity of, you know, my family, uh-huh. my, my extended family and friends. It's uh-huh. all the same thing, you know, kind of. So that, that's why I was kind of going in that direction. I did not see this one coming. I thought you were Italian, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I just came back from Greece. It's funny that you say that. I just came really? back from Greece. Everybody spoke Italian to me. They thought I was Italian. I've never got that before. So, Mamma Mia. <laughs> wow. Well, my neighbors are all Italian. I'm, I'm entrenched in the Italian culture. I do a lot of Italian events. I've done many over the years. They think I'm Italian. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I've also have an Ashkenazi background, but we're very, uh, we're pretty secularized in terms of the set. Like, we've been in the US for like three, four generations, depending on which side you're looking at. But Lithu- Lithuania, like, Poland, Russia, Ger- Germany, like middle, not middle Eastern, but yeah, like Eastern European sort of, sort of, you know, genetic type situation. 
Yeah, it just seems that culturally there was this progression of, you know, the arts and there's different ways to express the arts. And, and I, I mean, I didn't get as much of a push from my parents, probably because they were just too busy working, trying to survive. But from my parents themselves and their, their grandparents, like my mom had to play piano. All the girls had to play piano and the boys get to pick a different instrument. So there was this whole thing that, you know, gets, did you feel? You know, I don't give a theory about the whole thing, but I, I think I think it's more than just culture. I think it's also, I wonder if it's just sort of this association with affluence back in the day that just mm. sort of carried itself through genera- you know, generation to generation. Like today, people might say the equivalent of affluence, like, oh, all the people who are applying to medical school, law school, are they all play an instrument on the side. None of them are professionals. But they, so that's, that's my theory. Mm. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, that makes sense but, because it was a cultural thing. Because uh, if you had a piano in the house back in the day, you were at a, um, a I don't know, what, yeah, different level of affluence or, or, or perceived affluence. Uh, that, that makes sense. Um, so when you started learning, oh, did you go have professional lessons or how, how did that kind of uh, work? And, and, when yeah, did, so I and when did they pretty much so, so follow up question to that because so, I'll lose my train uh, of thought. My ADD kicks in and it goes away. Um, did you, you have professional lessons and, and at one point did they actually recognize you like this, you know, Asher has like this ability for this instrument that we didn't see sort of before. So it, it just sort of started. I don't think I had this natural ability, like genius that they, okay. they sort of realize, okay, you should play the violin. Um, maybe that's what's a debate. Um, maybe I don't give myself enough credit because I, I did, a, I did win awards and stuff, but, um, and I, I wasn't like NISPA competitions, but that being said, I, I think, uh, it was sort of those skills were handed to me on a silver platter at a very young age because I mean, I put in the work, like, I don't see myself as like this progeny who just picked up the violin and, and, and that being said, you know, you can say the thing about same thing about Itzhak Chromi, you know, he's this prodigy He's obviously the ch- child prodigy. Uh, he picked up at age five, so he had an advantage over most people. I definitely had an advantage at age two, and everybody around me playing playing violin. And maybe that makes me—I uh, uh, I just don't know. I, I know that every week I was taking private lessons, and and I I see it as a very privileged upbringing. So I just like to be transparent. Well, well you know, I have I'm, a theory. I have a theory. The well, you should pat uh, yourself in the back because I have a theory about this. Uh, people that so little. How do, how do I say this? Um, when you achieve little by little and you see progress, right? So you're, you're, you're learning, but you see progress in yourself. You're motivated to continue to practice. Absolutely, practice makes you way better. But if you're, if you're really not that good, I, I'm even talking about myself because I, I, you know, I played a little saxophone, a little bass, but I'm not, it, it wasn't something that I could see myself like uh, moving quickly. So I wasn't motivated to want to practice because I wasn't achieving anything. So by you maybe getting better, it maybe motivated you to want to practice more to get better and better. Does that make sense? Resonate? Yeah, I, I wasn't. I, and I was I was motivated uh, looking up at my two siblings and like seeing how much they were achieving and uh, just at young ages playing concertos, being the front of just like winning also competitions. And I was really set. I was set up to win, you know, as a, as a musician, I had a, pretty much everything that I needed except my health. So yeah, let, let's um, talk about that. Uh, that's why I wanted to transition. Which, so. which yeah. is, you know, I, I, I'm grateful for everything that I have in my life, but I, I'm one of those stories that the news isn't the news. The news likes to talk about the people that achieve a lot, despite the odds. For me, I'm the opposite. I, I, I have achieved what I've achieved because I was pretty much given everything that I needed to achieve minus my health, which is not something that was really in, in my control. And that, that took a, um, a serious toll on my, my abilities, um, yeah, playing Paganini. It's extremely painful on my back, um, because of my lifelong, um, health challenges. And, um, I guess I like to talk a lot about that because I know there are a lot, there are just growing numbers of people across the country, particularly in the U.S. When I say across the country, really globally, but especially in the U.S., 
Um, and, and they don't know what to do, um, and because of their health ailments and their issues. And they're just trying to like find a way to, to just to, to thrive. Um, and you know, they have the intelligence, they have the abilities, they have the support, but they're not able to thrive because of whatever health issue it could be cognitive, psychological, physical, whatever it is, it could be cancer. Um, and I guess I like to talk a lot about this and to just be frank, because it's a story again, that we don't hear all too often. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it is reflective of many people out there that might be able to relate, um, in the way that maybe the media doesn't like blow it all up. Well, so like what's, what's the, story. what's the health, uh, challenge that you were dealing with? I've had a number of health challenges, but, but it all kind of rooted, rooted in neurological. So, um, Blessed with a healthy brain, but uh, my just chronic back problems, back inflammation, trouble lifting the instrument over time. Um, I would say my brother had an even more difficult time, at least my oldest brother, um, but he doesn't do this professionally. So uh, I was diagnosed with a, a chronic inflammatory condition. So they were testing all my legs, my arms, that type of stuff. And extremely painful test in the, the, the neurology department. And it just, they just sort of like labeled me as such. And then there was nothing to do about it. Um, so, and then that sort of progressed through adrenal insufficiency. And that, that landed me in a wheelchair. I wasn't able to play professionally at all at that point. That was after having invested about 10 years, maybe seven to 10 years in that career. Um, in addition to other degrees, but that's another topic. So, uh, yeah, so I was like ready to kind of throw in the towel, give it up. Um, but I, I found a way and uh and and I got better and I, I was able to regain my strength and um despite the odds. And it's still a work in, in progress, but I'm fully functional, you know, for like the last seven years now. So, so is it is it related to an autoimmune uh, kind of condition where I am willing to bet that it is autoimmune. I have not been labeled as such, but it, it does autoimmunity does run in the family. And I know so many people with autoimmune conditions. Friends, friends, family, just like acquaintances, just like it just runs rampant in this country. So and nobody knows what to do with it. So except, except steroids, I guess. So yeah, I I would with with the knowledge that I have <laughs> with all my useless and uh, all this useless information in my brain for all these degrees in the sciences, mm-hmm. I would, I would definitely say that it started as subclinical. Um, and autoimmune can, can manifest in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it could be, hyper, you know, produce hyperthyroidism, hyperthyroidism, parathyroidism. Like it's just that this, the, it's it, pretty much the problems are endless. Uh, and, and seeing that book behind you, um, makes me want to shut up and listen to you talk because I know you know uh, probably know a lot about this. Well, I, w- I was going to actually say, I mean, we, we you know, in- inflammation is the root cause of many genetic predispositions that are epigenetically expressed. And inflammation yeah. can come in different ways. Uh, some of it happens through stress. So if we have stress reactivity and we have genetic markers for that, the actions that we take in our lifestyle can epigenetically turn those switches on. So now we're producing extra cortisol in our bloodstream. Our immune system overreacts to that. So it, can, it needs to correct it because it needs to maintain balance. And if it over-responds yeah. to that, now we'll feel inflammation. And sometimes it starts in our joints, uh, ankles, knees, hips, back, neck, anything that's moving. And if you have predisposition to gut health issues, it can start moving into your gut health and trigger all those. So you, your your yeah. entire body and, and what we do as healthcare professionals, we try to treat the body like, oh, uh, you have a problem with your shoulder. Let's work on your shoulder. Let's inject the shoulder. Let's do therapy in the shoulder. But maybe this is a byproduct of something else that's going on in, in uh, Eastern medicine. You know, there is something that's, uh, that's the root cause. We don't look at that. Functional medicine does as much. So, uh, like, you know, you mentioned the book, uh, uh, Making Cannabis Personal. Cannabis is, is one uh, thing that you can look at is to help balance your endocannabinoid system that can actually help to regulate your immune response as well. Uh, we produce these, uh, you know, um, endogenous endocannabinoids ourselves. And if we're not deficient, we can actually get some from the plant. Uh, but it's not the only solution. It's just part of it. 
But understanding that there is a connection between the mind and the body, and it, it keeps revolving back and forth because we have this vagus nerve that runs all the way down and our gut communicates back. So we have this back and forth communication, but doctors want to treat the, uh, the symptom that's, that's actually they see that's chronic or, or acute that's in this, but not going back and seeing what the root cause of that is. So, you know, there's so many different things like nutrition, what you, how we feed our bodies and also what's inflammatory to you versus what's inflammatory to me. So like looking at your microbiome, uh, I did my microbiome test. And one of the things that it showed me that was inflammatory to me is bell peppers. Well, bell peppers are a very healthy food. I mean, they shouldn't be, but for me, they are. So treating each individual person as, as an individual personally, uh, to be able to provide a, a protocol that makes sense to you, that's sort of the direction that I see medicine hopefully moving into. But, you know, regular medicine doesn't look at that kind of thing. Well, I, I, I think it's probably going to move more into that inevitably because if you look at the homeless rates now and like the mental health disorders and just, I mean, NPR is talking about it all the time and uh, like it's, it's not sustainable. I mean, the solutions that they're proposing are also not sustainable. Uh, they're like forcing people into like, into um, basically just people who don't, who are homeless, who don't, who aren't interested, I guess, in living in, in the establishment or living in, in, in a, an apartment or anything like that. I mean, getting them into a doctor's office, forcing them does not, I don't think that that's a solution either. Anyway, I, I don't want to digress too much, but it's interesting what you say. I just want to kind of mentioned you you were you were addressing the in the excess cortisol my case um it's actually the opposite it's actually i I have a deficiency of cortisol which Mm -hmm. is what led to my my uh adrenal insufficiency status um that's something i've had to manage on the opposite side of the spectrum um so i guess yeah if if autoimmune is at the root of a lot of these causes which means the body's pretty much hyper reacting or attacking itself as a result of trees or just air or just foods that we don't realize are putting into our body, uh, that are triggering these inflammatory responses, then, uh, yeah. Um, nothing we can really seemingly do about it. Um, we can just sort of mask the symptoms, right? It's complicated situation. Yeah. Medicine needs to change. Well, I'm glad that you found some solutions, but I think as you said, it's always a work in progress, especially, but understanding the root cause and understanding there's things that you can do, uh, that you can, you know, still pursue your passion, your career. Um, like I, you know, spending time, I'm, I'm originally from Philly. I live in LA now, but, uh, spent a lot of time in New York and there was a lot of people who played like in the subways or in the streets and all that stuff. Did you ever have to uh, do, or was that something you uh, participated in, like played on the streets? I was always interested. I was always interested in playing, uh, in the subways and on the streets. Cause I just, I've just seen all these social media posts of like all these artists that are basically established like myself and doing that. Uh, I never found the time. I never, yeah. I don't know. I just didn't do it. Um, I, I do about 200 paid events a year. Hmm. Uh, but there's something to be said about playing in the streets where people are just stopping by to really like pay attention. And it's not just like, I don't know. I don't know uh, if they really stop and pay attention in New York. <laughs> I see, I see these videos. Some, some people do. Out. Yeah. Some people do. Some people just walk, walk just by because they're in a, in a hurry. Um, I, I took a deeper dive into your music. I, I find it really interesting before I kind of categorize that because my, my brain likes to categorize things uh, yeah. for some reason. How, how would you describe your music? Um, violin centric. <laughs> That's probably the best way to describe it. <laughs> because, quite frankly, I'm a little all over the map. Um, I am constantly exploring different genres. For the most part, covered the EDM, like electronic realm and classical. But I just released a, a classic, a rock, a classical rock, a classic rock, no, classical rock um, single with two amazing artists out in LA. Speaking of LA, Ginny Luke, shout out to you. And Johannes Gretschacher, uh, shout out to him. Um, and yeah, but the, the reason for that is because they actually brought it into the rock realm. I started out in more of electronic instrumental classical, and they brought it into like more heavy kind of like 
you know, high energy rock. Yeah, I, I was going to say EDM, uh, but I couldn't really, because now I started, as you said, and plus you do covers. Like, I think there was a Wiz Khalifa uh, kind of thing. The Like, you do different interpretations of music that's that we would recognize, but in your own sort of style. And I found it interesting. So I couldn't really, you know, some of the stuff is electronic dance music. Speaking of dance, uh, you also uh, uh, perform and in, in you dance uh, in some of your performances while you're playing, uh, which was uh, really interesting. It, was that was that like uh, something that you intended to do and took classes in? Were you a, a, an old school b boy, or what, what was what's the deal with that? <laughs> I used to break dance when I was a kid. My grandmother hated it. She was like, "Yeah, back problems because you break dance." I'm like, "Okay, grandma." <laughs> um, I actually thought it helped my back problems, but I, I yeah, just years of break dancing made. And and uh, gymnastics um, made it pretty helped me it helped a pretty easy transition, uh, um, kind of merging violin and and dance. Uh, but also, I guess what kind of pushed the envelope was a request for for break dancers uh, mm. to perform along with me at different events. So I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing this. And then and then it became kind of difficult to just manage the dancers. <laughs> Like I really, I really, uh, I don't know. So I, I can't do, I don't do it for every event, but for like big concerts, you know, I'll, I'll do it. So you performed in a lot of, uh, you know, I think Madison Square Garden, Carnegie Hall. Do you have a favorite place that you perform? It's more, it's not so much the venue. Old well, venue is definitely exciting, but it's not as exciting as the experience that's exciting to me is the crowd. When the crowd's really into the music, it's like, oh, yes. Like, you know, I played the Concert Master Theater, which is, you know, 3,000 people, whereas like Madison Square Garden is quite a bit larger. Carnegie Hall is quite a bit more prestigious. Um, Lincoln Center, same. But but the crowd was so into the music. Uh, and and I was thinking, yeah, this is this is bucket list experience, you know. So... That's that's what matters the most to me. You have an exchange of energy with the crowd, and that way they're giving it back, and it's making you want to play more like that. That communication, yeah, yeah. And it's not easy finding a crowd that I think is into the violin because I feel like a lot of people want to hear your vocals and and rap and uh, I don't know rock music, like stuff that they can shout the lyrics out. So it's a little different being a violinist. I feel like it's a little bit of an uphill battle. Well, so I have a couple of uh, follow-up questions on that, but I, I want to get into your your thinking um, when you're going up on stage and, and performing, especially some of these bigger places. And you said the venue doesn't matter, but I, I kind of like Carnegie Hall. I mean, you want to, as you just said, it's prestigious. So do you have a routine or preparation when you're going on stage at a certain venue? And then once you do that, does it change when you're actually in flow when you're playing and you're no longer thinking about that and going up on stage and performing? It's funny. I've done performances like big performances where I'll prep like the very specifics. And then in the moment, unless I've done the routine over and over again, like 23 times, yeah. I'll forget and I'll have to improvise, which is why it's good that I can improvise well. So people don't necessarily know the difference, but I know. And I'm like, oh man, what was I doing? I missed I missed the the side flip or whatever. <laughs> um, so so yeah, there's always somewhat of a difference in terms of like the prep versus the live performance. Something like Carnegie Hall, um, I guess you have to kind of prepare for the worst. You have to prepare for like the sound guy not paying attention, being on their cell phone during the performance, which believe it or not has happened. <laughs> um, you have to prepare for like they're just being glitches or equipment glitches or just, and you just got to kind of play it cool. Um, and, but assuming everything is, you know, all the equipment does work. Um, maybe, I don't know, somebody trips on stage. It's happened. <laughs> so you just have to improvise and um, every performance is different and mm -hmm. anything can go wrong. <laughs> you yeah. just got to roll with the punches. So there seems to be a trend in the industry that I've been noticing that, uh, you know, musicians rock musicians or hip-hop they start playing with an orchestra and you know uh, i just saw i saw nas do that with the la phil i saw um joe bonamassa i don't know if you know who he is he's a 
basically right. a blues guy. He played with the, an orchestra as well. It, it, is it something that you're noticing as well? And also, is that something that you may be interested in in also participating in? Yeah, um, I try to simplify my life by scaling it down to fewer instruments or fewer performers. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I because I've produced symphonies, literally, I can say about four in the last four months, like one a month. Um, it kind of lends itself to a full symphony performance, and I could see that happening. I could see you know uh, producers or promoters inviting me to to maybe play my music with with the orchestras. I, I've played with a number of them over the years, so. That would, be, you, that would be cool. Do you have any uh, specific like, musical influences that uh, uh, that you want to either emulate or that inspire you to uh, like play a certain way? Yeah, there's a whole lot of influences out there. Bella Fleck, um, you know, John Luke Ponty, um, David Garrett. I'd love to meet him one day. Um, Lindsey Sterling. I mean, everybody knows her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Uh, I mean, there's just a whole list. I mean, there's a bunch of pop stars, but frankly, when it comes to like the musicality of stuff, I, I'm more interested in the the instrumentalists. Damien Escobar, uh, mm-hmm. he's he's you know he's like a smaller big artist who does international tours. I'd love to meet him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but oh yeah, I, I forgot to mention. Um, well, I'll just stop there because I could just go on and on. Well, I I, I bring this up because I remember your Korea. Oh. Yeah, of course, Chikoria. Uh, As a musical jazz genius. Yeah, uh, 100%. So I remember years ago, there was a, a band, the name will come to me in a second, but it was a, a female band of violinists. I think there was three of them. Bond. Bond. Did that ring a Bond, bell? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that the name? Was that? Yeah, they were huge. I, huge, I, right? I, they were huge. I don't know what happened to them either, but there was... Scala? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that was their release. I don't remember, but I remember that like they were popular and they sort of crossed over into, you know, popular culture in a way, but they also, they they were instrumental violinists. So I was wondering and and just seeing where the industry is going. So I I have some background. I used to be, I used to work at Tower Records years ago. And uh, so I I have a little bit of like musical industry background. So I was, I'm trying to see how things progress because back in the day you record an album or a cd and and you know and you can count the units now streaming and and youtube and uh, spotify and all these other things and you're an instrumentalist for the most part like is there a trajectory of signing with a label and putting out uh you know uh records or is it more of like i'm gonna put out a bunch of music and get sync licensing revenue or is it I'm just touring. Like, how how is this industry, you know, supporting you or or not? Um, it's supporting me at, through live performances mostly. Um, through some streaming, I have some some fans buying my stuff. I have some super fans buying like everything. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you, super <laughs> fans. Um, and you know, but but the the I would say the core of my income is is from live performance. I would love, I tell, I tell people this all the time. Like I would love to shave down maybe half of the live performances and, and, and focus on like sync, like music library type uh, releases for movies. Cause I want to spend more time in the studio producing as opposed to always out on the road. Um, and I would also like to cut back on the performing for other people doing other like corporate events type of stuff and do more of like the album centric type performances like concerts that are specifically around my original music as opposed to the covers have you have you looked into like uh some music supervision or or a scene like you know me being in, in la that's that's the thing that a lot of musicians try to get into is uh let me see if uh there's a script and i can uh, you know create some music specifically uh you know for for that movie or that show is that of interest to you yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely, yeah, it's definitely of interest. Um, I've, I've been learning more and more about, you know, how m- most efficiently I can take the, my, basically take the music that I've produced over many, many hours and actually pitch it to music licensing purposes, you know, for movies and TV. Uh, that's a work in progress. Uh, right now it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's going to take a few more months, I think, before. Uh, I'm going like full steam ahead 
mm-hmm. in that regard. So how do your parents feel about your career trajectory now? Like, you know, they wanted you to be a proficient violin player, uh, which you are, but how, how do they look at that now? Because you're, you know, you're a professional musician. I think it, I, I've just been doing this for so long at this point. Uh, they've sort of given up on what they, they've projected <laughs> I should do, which is essentially medicine. Uh, although I don't know if they would say that. Um, I think they just ultimately want me to be happy at this point. And I think they sort of trust that because I'm, you know, I pretty much jump out of bed. First thing on my mind is what, what am I doing in, you know, to push this music career forward to, to engage more fans, that type of stuff. It's like all I do. It's all I think about aside from my family. I think they understand there's no other, there's no other, there, there's no other route for me to take. That's your path in in life. And, Going back to the medicine thing, did you start your um, sort of uh, education in in medicine? And we we didn't really get into it, uh, but did you start because of your own medical condition and you wanted to try to find a solution for that? Yeah, that that was definitely uh, the impetus. Uh, also, I was always interested in biology. I, you know, I'd taken AP Bio and and. Uh, you know, in high school and took a lot of science courses. So I was sort of the trajectory. I uh, had some bunch of PhDs and doctors in my family. So they sort of encouraged it. Uh, that was kind of the only way, like just considering my background, it's, it's either like a doctor or a lawyer or like a, an accountant. That's sort of how, how, uh, how you're, at least I was brought up in, the, in my community. Um, musician was not really uh, in the cards in terms of expectations. But to answer your question more directly, just, you know, I moved to New York 2001 and I got a bachelor's in bio hmm. and then, and then I went to NYU. Well, so then I, yeah, I was working in music throughout the entire time. Hmm. Um, and that, you know, like working my, my way through college, but then I went to NYU for a science education degree and then I taught for four years and then I went back to school, back to NYU, got a nursing degree. Hmm. <laughs> and then from there I went to music full time. So you don't have any desire or passion to, you know, do anything in, in medicine. I, I do. I do. And I, 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 you know, it's, it's hard to get all those degrees without a passion. Um, and I took it very seriously and I'm somewhat regretful that I did not make it a career. However, I, I, you know, my wife and I decided like, I, I have to run one race at a time. Otherwise I'm going to run myself into the ground. Uh, it's not, you can't run two races. At least I can't, maybe you can uh, efficiently. Um, but you can run one race relatively efficiently. So that's why I chose the music path. Um, and I think, I think it was probably my experience in 2014 that led me down that route as opposed to the nursing, which is probably more practical in terms of income and stability, that type of stuff. So what, what was the experience in 2014? Well, that was when I landed myself in a wheelchair and I just, you know, at that point I, I kind of got out and I had this reinvention, like this inspiration that I, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I have a very finite amount of time on this, this planet to enjoy life and to connect with people in a meaningful way that I think I, I could best connect. Um, so I felt like music was probably the best of the two options. Did, did you feel that there was a level of stress or different stressors that were going on that actually led to, uh, you know, you being in a wheelchair doing too many things. Oh, for things. sure. I mean, when you have adrenal insufficiency, you have a lack of cortisol, um, that's beyond stress. You can't, I mean, you can't, again, I, I wasn't able to lift, lift the violin, which is not right. that heavy. We're talking like a pound, pound and a half. I couldn't lift my head. I was pretty much a vegetable. So yeah, it's not even that there's stress, that there's, there was stress. It was, I mean, I would label it as, first of all, inflammatory factors, imbalanced nutrition. Uh, um, you know, I mean, this stuff was idi- idiopathic somewhat. Yeah. I mean, it's a long story, but uh, that's pretty much what was brewing. Yeah. So, and then I you mean, made I, I endure stress every single day now, but I'm able to handle it because I have enough cortisol in my body to manage it. And, I, and I'm able, able to avoid the inflammatory factors in my life to a large extent. So how did you do that? Reducing, like changing the way you eat and also, you know, 
being mindful. Yeah, I, I mean, I made a drastic change in my diet, a drastic change uh, from what I had been eating my entire life. Um, so, whereas if I were to go back to a lot of those foods um, that really are just normal for other people, um, I would just blow up and like fall apart. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> just eviscerate, <laughs> um, be sick for like a week. And I've, I've made mistakes. Like I'll be at a, like a, an event and the food looks so good. And, I'm, you know, and then the next morning I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, I have to be really careful. What I so, eat. so what were, very, what very were some of the, what were some of those changes uh, to your, to your diet that you made? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to make, bl- I, I'm always like, I'm generally vague cause I don't want to make blanket recommendations to any of my fans that might be hopping on who might have some, some like their own challenges. And, and a number of them do actually, cause they told me I've gotten emails and DMS and everything. Um, but I, one example would be, uh, it wasn't intuitive, but cow dairy was, was knocking me out. It's causing like serious inflammation in my feet. Another thing was, uh, soy, uh, soy. I, I mean, I spent my life eating soy. It's high in protein. It works for a lot of people, you know, people in Japan, China, that they they touted as being very helpful. Uh, just didn't work for my body. Uh, and there are a number of other things like mushrooms, which I, I you know, I loved eating shiitake mushrooms, that type of stuff. Really uh, pretty toxic to my gut. And, um, but but I'm also like, I'm also allergic to things that, that uh, nobody would really expect. Uh, I, I took some expensive tests um, I'm trying to think it might've been an IgE test as well as the expensive test, but certain trees that I'm exposed to every single time I'm driving down the highway are, are screwing around with my, my thyroid, which explains why I had, um, so a sore throat, uh, my entire childhood, whenever I was on the highway, I didn't understand why do I have a sore throat? Yeah. I drink water. So, you know, maybe oh, I don't know, Oak trees. I, I have a list, but those are things I can't avoid so much, but that's where like certain supplementations or, you know, drinking water, take care of my body in other ways allows me to kind of, uh, manage exposure to things like trees that I can't help. What about like, that's physical and you're addressing your, is there, is there anything you do for your mental health? Like, uh, is there a meditation practice? Is there mindfulness? Is there anything like that? Cause you already mentioned yeah, you, don't, so, you don't do cannabis. So that's not, that's not part of uh, your supplement. No, I, I, I haven't taken cannabis, but I, I know a number of people who have, who have had serious gut issues um, over many years and actually had, had successful experiences with cannabis. Mm-hmm. One of them happens to be a friend of mine who's a nurse uh, who was in and out of like the hospital and then cannabis uh, um, oil uh, helped them. But yeah, I, I haven't taken cannabis. I've taken certain certain supplements, mm-hmm. um, like quercetin, for instance, anti-inflammatory, antiviral. But uh, sorry, your your original question I, I before just, that. I was just asking if you have like a mindfulness practice or is anything you do oh, uh, for your yoga. Mental, that's what I was going to say. Mental. Yoga and tai chi are things I've I've tried to do. Weightlifting helps. Um, I would say above all, um, I would say diet has helped me more than anything. Um, you know, once I figured it out, which only took like, I don't know, two decades, <laughs> um, but yoga is extremely helpful. Extra- like every time I walk out of a yoga session, I don't, I'm not able to do it weekly. Uh, you know, my wife, she does it. She loves it. Um, but whenever I do it, I feel just so relieved. Massage acupuncture is very powerful. Got it. So, um, think I read you, do you, what do you do to give back to the community you work with uh, oh swim oh, yeah. oh, what do i do to get back well <laughs> yeah. so i'm gonna start with at the bottom like the easiest way for me to get back which is playing music for free for a lot of my fans so uh, i i didn't see that as much as a way of giving back until my fans a number of them told me like you saved my life during covid which uh again to me like i wasn't in a state of like deep depression. I mean, I was in despair. I was afraid for my career and like my kids and stuff like that. But I, I wasn't in this like suicide, mental state of like suicide, suicidal yeah. uh, ideation type thinking. Um, but a bunch of my fans were like, yeah, you saved my life. And I'm like, and then I started to really take my career much more seriously. So in that sense, I, I feel like I give back. I give like a lot of, a lot of music away and I connect with my fans, get a lot of my, a lot of my free time. I even get some advice, but uh, I, I do a lot of uh, 
a lot, I've done a lot of uh, not-for-profit events. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for instance, I'm doing an event, an event in, at the Edison Ballroom uh, for Unitas, which is very important not-for-profit organization. I think it's a global effort to combat um, child abuse and uh, child trafficking and all those terrible things that I cannot believe uh, are still in existence. Um, forget about existence, they're like still happening. Um, and I guess they haven't been addressed. So that's that's something like that's just one of a number of examples where I, I, I help to support, you know, with my audience and just through exposure and just playing music for at these different types of events. So you kind of answered this already, but in a nutshell, like if you see yourself, you know, in, in 12 months or maybe in 24 months, what would be your ideal like uh, career? Like, what would you be doing ideally? Like putting it out in the universe, and this is exactly what I want to see happen. Well, I'm going to choose very carefully because I feel like you might make it happen. Exactly. Uh, it's funny. <laughs> no, like, no, you're going to make it happen. Not me. You're making it happen because you're putting it in the universe. <laughs> and when you put it out with intention, it comes back. It's already starting to happen. You just have to go and walk in and get it. This is the fourth. This is this is the fourth time uh, somebody like yourself has asked me what is it that I would truly like, and they're like. It just might happen. I'm like, okay, well, I'm waiting. Um, I, I would, I would say probably, well, yeah. What I mentioned a little earlier is is connecting with people who are truly, deeply passionate about the music that I have produced because they're there. The streaming numbers are there. I'm seeing in the analytics. There's some. There's a, a lot of. Uh, there are a lot of people that want more of the music that I deeply am in love with and want to share with the world. That is not in the mainstream top forties. That the major labels are pushing. Right. Um, so I would that, so on a in, on a broad scale of like that, something like that. Um a little a little bit further off, I guess, you know, it'd be cool to do an international tour um with with some dream, some dream uh with the dream team. I've worked with a lot of amazing. Put it, put it out there, talent. man. Like go go specific. Who? Who's your dream team? Well, I there there's a I have too many dream team members. I really have to scale right, so it down. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you this way. So Yo Yo Ma, okay. So Yo Yo Ma, we okay. all know he that could be on your. But remember, he did Goat Rodeo, I, and he said, "I'm gonna take and I'm gonna take something I've I'm known for, but I'm gonna transition and create a mini band like of musicians yeah. that I just like to jam with and do something different, and that takes off. So that I'm just giving you an example." Yeah, the problem is my dream team is like spread all over the country. But I have so there's some amazing music like drummers, keyboardists, uh, like four to six dancers that I have in mind that I would love to uh, to have me have like pretty much join me on the road for like a proper city to city tour, um, as opposed to like I do like one concert at a time, two concerts at a time type of thing instead of like a you know a massive scale type type of tour situation. In terms of pipe pipe dream. Um, in terms of like bucket list type thing, yeah, I've, I've mentioned some some dream play like Vanessa May, David Garrett, Lindsey Sterling. These are dream performers. I'd love to open up for them. You know, I'd love to to meet them, perform with them, or or them. Damian Escobar. I'm, I think it's going to happen at some point. Um, you know, Demola. I've Demola violinist is an amazing violinist. We've we've actually connected on social media. I'd love to play with him at some point. He's been out to New York. I've been to Texas. We've never met in person. Um, yeah, these these are all I, I'm mentioning all people in my genre, you know, yeah. uh, violinists. I I could go on and on. I don't want to bore you guys. To death, well, no, it's it's not that you, you you you. I'm saying this because you're putting in the universe. You can create your own. Uh, like this is my ideal situation, and then you want an international yeah. tour. I I can feel that you know doing a tour in Asia, uh, like Japan, all those. I think that would be a really interesting. I think they would connect to what you're doing, especially your performances, because for people that didn't see, they should really go check out your content because you have uh, uh, a violin like uh, that has lights, fluorescent lights on it. And you, you do like a whole, yeah, LEDs or whatever it was. Uh, you do like a, a performance. So it's not just I'm sitting there and listening to Jean-Luc Ponty, who's fantastic i'm not i'm not even doing a but the the show part of it is something that's really unique 
So I'm just putting it out there for you uh, because I think there is a, a whole performance uh, part of what you do that is visual that I think people really, really connect to. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's, that's really nice of you. Um, I, it's definitely a dream of mine to, to, uh, to do like a, like a tour that's, it's gotten real. I've, I've gotten really close negotiations for like the UAE, Israel, like they've come and then like, I, I've priced it pretty high. Cause I, I do have, uh, I do have family to attend to. So that's, that's where the limitations come in. So, you know, it's like a trade-off. A lot of people trade, trade their family for their career, their career for the family. And I've, I've, I think I could achieve both. Um, because I've managed to, I do manage to do music for, for a living. Um, Two cellos, by the way. Another, you know, I would love to work with them. Oh yeah, with those guys, I'd love to work to do an yeah. event with them. But, but ultimately, it's I, I love my music. Yeah. <laughs> I love the music that I've produced, and it, that that's that's more exciting to me than playing with a celebrity because I've played with many celebrities over the years. Yeah, um, no, I was I was thinking you you have your own band. That's that's why I brought up Go Rodeo. You you it's it's you your 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 ma, and then you have your players with you. They're playing your music, but you have those players that are uh, exceptional in what they do and they, and they, and you guys align in the, you know, what, what the finished product is. That's, that's what I was. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to, to have a budget to bring my band on the, on the road pretty much there you go. Um, on a tour, you know, as opposed to just like, okay, one event here, one event there, you know, I've been all over the country at different yeah. points, uh, smaller scale, scale down, you know, you book the guys that are local, but for sure. Uh, but thanks for bringing that up. You, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's, it's happening, man. Take you can step turn. into it for sure. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first concert that you ever attended? Attended? Yes. Uh, it was probably mine. <laughs> <laughs> Besides your diner. own, if you've, uh, where you went to see a concert. Meet Dory. Meet Dory. I saw her play at the Buffalo Philharmonic when I was like, when she was 13. I was, I think I was like, I think I was like seven or eight. I'm like staring up at her in this yellow dress and she just like she didn't have any expression off her face turned out she <laughs> I think she had a mental breakdown sadly uh, a number of years later probably from all the pressure of touring at a young age but I was just mesmerized by how she was just she played for like an hour straight and her fingers were just like moving all over the violin and um I'm sure that took a toll <laughs> but sure. th that was one of the first performances I attended yeah so I when I speak to a lot of musicians uh, I ask them about like attending concerts and, and watching you know seeing live shows i'm like i'm so busy doing mine i don't really have time uh to see anybody else perform but i'll ask you anyway do you know what was the last besides you the last concert you attended i went to see chick um not chick korea uh bella fleck oh. uh and sadly that was a number of years ago and my wife keeps telling me she's like you never take me any out on any dates to like concerts and i'm like and she knows why, because if it's a concert, I'm going to want to be on stage. But, yeah. you know, she's right. And it's funny that you bring this up because, I don't know, she tends to be right about a lot of things. I never <laughs> think she's right about until, like, years later. You're getting a <laughs> but, lot of uh, points right now. Make sure that she listens to this. <laughs> I, you know, I've done about 100 interviews this year. I don't think she's watching more than, like, one or two of them. <laughs> but maybe this is the one that, that'll be worth watching. <laughs> I might, I'll might i share it with her. She, um, I, I, I think I'm going to take it to, to, to see somebody because uh, i think it's time it's yeah. time <laughs> it's i agree time Me metallica's playing so there you go, you can go see it was guns and roses this past weekend i didn't guns show up because i was doing my own event but I, I think i think i need to start like because i've seen i've seen mega artists show up to other to these concerts like if they're doing it obviously maybe i should be doing it myself like there's what to learn yeah. i don't know it all you know yeah so for yeah sure it's time. All right, so uh, I'm going to ask you a question that I ask uh, a lot of my guests. Uh, so I'm going to preface this. The the question is, and I'll you think uh, it's in. You have five albums to choose for uh, from for next year. You can only listen to these five. Now you don't have to remember the name of the actual album. You can say the Beatles or something. You don't have to say like you know the name. So it, what five albums would you uh, choose to listen to for next year? Or next year. Well, in a year. Like you're in one year, in you only year. can listen to these five. That's it. That's why, because I'm always listening to singles based on what fans and clients 
request. You can, you can um, use single. You can say but, like, uh, you know, this artist or whatever. Just the artist's names are fine too. Uh, pro- probably the same artists as, as I've mentioned. Um, like I admire them for the music that I listen to, uh, you know, uh, their albums. But who else can I add to the list aside from the the already mentioned? Um, we'll just I go mean, through it in, again. Ma- ma- name five, even if you've mentioned them before. Uh, well, now I'm just promoting them at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay Sterling um, is, is she? She's she has some amazing producers that that work for her. Uh, it you know, hands down, just amazing music. Uh, David Garrett, two cellos. Um, David Escobar, you know, a lot simpler music, but beautiful nonetheless. And and I, I really admire how he's he's managed to like make just just attract the world of jazz to the violin, which is pretty unusual. Um, I, I'm obviously very focused on the violin here, uh, but but there's tons of other like instrumentalists. I'm just the names are are escaping. Yeah, me but you you don't listen to like uh, I don't know uh, Stevie Wonder, artists. yeah, or Who? or Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Wonder. Or, or, yeah, I, I've listened to Stevie Wonder. I listen to Coldplay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love Bruno Mars. The only thing is, like, the violin does, and I've done covers of all these these artists, but the violin is not like my fans are not as excited about me doing covers of their stuff as they are of me doing my own original music. Um, and the reason why is because the songs are really built around the vocals as opposed to, I don't know, instruments. Gotcha. gotcha. But I love okay. these guys. I love they're all amazing. I think you had one more. Do a Lipa. I do a Lipa. Okay. Cool. Uh, all right. So bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. What my room looked like. Uh pretty much what it looks like now. <laughs> In upstate. Uh a rug. Uh which is like forbidden now because of the the allergies. <laughs> um oh, it's funny that you're you're a very interesting uh, interviewer. The, just a uh, trundle bed, uh, desk, uh, closet with stack of tapes. Yes, tapes. Um, mm-hmm. No computer. A boombox on my uh, on my uh, dresser. Um, just very home- homey. I think that's the word. Very homey. Uh, no, no posters very- on the walls. No art. Nothing like that. Kind of boring. Um, kind of a boring room with like, my God. Yeah, really. No, I, I guess I didn't decorate my room because <laughs> a lot of the stuff hanging on the walls was not ba- basically my brother's art. I just never changed it, but I had a gerbil, had a gerbil growing up in a tank that kept me company in that, yeah. in that bedroom. So what else? Pens, pencils, uh, shelf with my, my, uh, soccer trophies and um track trophies and swim trophies and uh a lot of trophies music i think there are a couple of music trophies oh yeah my music stand violin like two violin cases i go on and on yeah. no nah, it's that's a good sleeping bag a good description big help for for uh is that know, good when you, when you wanted to uh change it up you'll just sleep in the sleeping bag <laughs> <laughs> uh when i went to the our annual little excursion to the dig what's called the dig in upstate um byron batavia where my father ran a a paleontological excavation digging up mastodon bones from thousands of years ago that's when i used the sleeping bag so i'd bring it into a tent unpack it wake up freezing at 6 a.m with everybody like hey guys it's time to hit camp you know we're we're gonna start troweling and digging up more bones uh, but I would wake up in a puddle of water, of cold water in that tent, which was waterproofed every single morning. Yeah. Little anecdote there. I thought I'd throw in. That's, That's what the sleeping bag was for. Gotcha. Asher, where can people engage with your content, find out more, uh, hear your music, uh, you know, social media, whatever, let people know. Um, Asherlove.com uh, is my website and all the, all the other, like, socials are on that main page but that's sort of i update my latest release on that page um you can learn more about me you see all my postings shenanigans on instagram.com slash asherlob asherlob music on facebook twitter tiktok every other uh platform that you know people are posting on and my original music is on um 
like 70 different platforms, including the obvious Spotify, iTunes, and Deezer, and Amazon. You know, you name it. Got it. it. Cool, man. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on. It's great. And uh, I appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully people will engage uh, more with your content. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.